the few that are in this room and missing all those who are at home. But we're going to continue just to lift high the, the Word of God and continue in our series. So this morning, if you have your Bibles at home, and I trust that you do because that's a good place to have them. If you don't have access to a Bible, the verses will be on the screen. But if you can open to Galatians chapter 5, and we are continuing our, our walk and this in-between series, a series that we are putting in between our series in Romans, um, in the book of Galatians, a series that we are calling Freedom in the In-Between. So we are in between a series, but also we are living in the in-between of Christ's first coming and, and second coming. And we have seen already the power of grace, the power of faith, and the freedom that we have in Christ. We have seen um, and rejoiced in our relationship as sons or heirs of God, heirs of Christ. And last week we understood the freedom that we have to grow in the Lord. But today we come to Galatians 5, and we're looking at the freedom to run. Freedom to run. The Apostle Paul must have been a sports fan because he consistently and constantly used athletic imagery to describe the Christian life. He used imagery such as running a race, fighting a battle, beating the air, or strict training. And in our day that we live, in our day and age, many professing believers have this idea, a different idea, that you come to Christ, you pray a prayer, you have a pastor hold you underwater, and then it's smooth sailing from there. Many people envision the Christian life like running through a field of daisies with, with the wind blowing through your hair or lack thereof for myself and brother Steve. Um, and then your life from that point on is just great and amazing and, and everything's awesome. Yet that is not the way the New Testament describes the Christian life. The New Testament describes the Christian life as a battle, a war, a race, and not a 50-yard dash kind of race, but a long race, a marathon by which we're running in, we're struggling through, we're fighting through. And that's the way the Apostle Paul describes the Christian life. And in Galatians, which has been described as a fighting epistle from beginning to end, so a, a fighting epistle, Paul takes up the fight for our freedom. And all throughout this book, Paul declares that we are free indeed. It's the whole picture. We're free. We have freedom. I love the words of Pastor John MacArthur who puts it this way. He said, what kind of freedom is it? Well, it's freedom from the burden of sin, freedom from relentless guilt, freedom from an accusing conscience, freedom from the tyranny of our transgressions, freedom from the terrible pressure and frustrations of trying to be something other than you can be, freedom from, in a word, sin's dominance. That is what we want. That is what we need. And praise God, that is what we have. That is the freedom that we have. So back to running. So back to this picture of running this race. Various passages in the Bible picture the Christian life as a race and the parallels of that abound. Both running the race and running a race and the Christian life require attention, require effort, require self-denial, require perseverance. Both have a clearly defined finish line that we strive for. Now, the difference is the finish line for the Christian life is, or for the Christian, is Christ-likeness. That's our finish line. That is our goal. Yet, unlike any other athletic competition, the race for the Christian 
lasts a lifetime. Here's a good way to put it. If you're not dead, you aren't finished yet. If you're not dead, you're not finished with your race. You still have time to push forward in the race. Now, you may have stumbled coming out of the blocks. You may have tripped and fallen during the race. You may have even started the race a little late or maybe a lot late. But God can and will help you make up for lost time. And he will ensure that you finish. God will ensure that we finish the race that's before us. So let's once again turn to the word and understand our freedom in Christ. Freedom to run. And we're going to see what we mean by that by the way that Paul says in verse 7, you were running and now you're not. So beginning at verse 1 of chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 15 together. And it says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. And let me just stop for a second and make sure you heard what I just said or what Paul just said. Paul's saying, I wish that those who are hindering you would castrate themselves. Now, I've said a lot of crazy things from the pulpit. I've never said that. I, I, I've never said that from the pulpit and praise be to God or hopefully, Lord, I never will. But Paul does. And then look at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray. Father, again, just speak today by your word, through your spirit. We are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So we might translate verse 1 that we just read this way. To freedom Christ has freed us. So Christ has freed us to freedom. We have not been set free without a purpose. We have not been set free so that we could place ourselves again in the chains of sin. Christ has set us free so that we could bask in the benefits of his salvation. Christ has set us free so that we can enjoy our freedom. And Christ has set us free, hear this, so that we might stay free. Stay free. To freedom, we have been freed. Yet, that is not how many professing Christians live. 
Charles Swindoll gives the following real-life illustration so that we might see a picture of how we, as believers, often live. And he writes, back in the 19th century, our 16th president realized something radical must be done about slavery in our country. Unwilling to look the other way any longer, on September 22nd, 1862, he presented what came to be known as the Emancipation Proclamation, an official document condemning human slavery. Abraham Lincoln, realizing that slavery is completely against human dignity, officially abolished it from the United States on that day. Tragically, little changed in the daily life of our nation, even though slaves were officially declared free. You know why? You've read the stories. The Civil War was still going on. The plantation owners never informed their slaves. The vast majority of slaves couldn't read, so they had no idea they were free. So for the longest time, slavery continued even though it had been officially brought to an end. The war ended in April 1865. Do you know when Lincoln's declaration was officially enacted? When the people finally began to leave their enslaved lives and make their way toward freedom? December 18, 1865. More than three years after he first released his proclamation. Lincoln, Lincoln had been dead for months the word traveled out of the streets of Washington with the 13th Amendment down to the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, across the back roads of the Carolinas, into Georgia, then Alabama, then Mississippi, then Louisiana, then Texas and Arkansas, announcing what had been true for more than a thousand days. Even then, the word somehow either wasn't believed or wasn't acted upon. Those officially emancipated people, thinking slavery was the life they were condemned to live, continued to live in the bondage, though they had been declared free men and women for over three years. And brothers and sisters, in Christ we have been set free, yet it is so easy for us to live as if we're still slaves or for us to fall back into slavery, being slavery to sin, by which we put the chains of sin back on our arms and legs, whether it's the enslavement of our own efforts, thinking that we can earn our salvation by our good works and good deeds, so we're enslaved to that, whether it's enslavement to self-righteousness by which we think we're better um, than we actually are and we think that we are good in God's sight because we're good people or enslaved to legalism, checking the box that we are told we have to check. All of these entangle us from running well, from keeping us from running in the freedom that Christ has called us to. So this morning, I want us to quickly unpack three truths related to the way that freedom runs. And just a simple picture here, the outline comes from verse 5. So verse 5 is basically our outline today. We could just read it again and say the end, but um, we're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to dig a little deeper this morning. But three truths related to how freedom runs. Number one, freedom runs in the Spirit. Freedom runs in the Spirit. Look at verse 5. It says this, For through the Spirit, by faith, we. And there's a big picture here. James Montgomery Boyce says, Up to this point, Paul has been talking only of the Galatians using the pronoun you. 
He's been warning them about what they seem to be doing, saying, you, you're doing this, you're doing this. Now the pronoun changes to we. In John 3, Jesus told Nicodemus that we are born again of the Spirit of God. Thus, hear this, the Spirit of God brings us into the body of Christ and brings us, we need to hear this today, brings us from a life of me to a life of we. We're, we're no longer just living for ourselves. We're no longer, the world is no longer just revolving around us. We're living for we. We're living for other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And this is where we see that our freedom is dependent upon the Holy Spirit's work in us because that's not something that happens naturally. We don't naturally just put ourselves aside. It's what the Holy Spirit does in us and through us. Just think about Galatians 2.20 that we walked through several weeks ago. I've been crucified with Christ, Paul writes. Nevertheless, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. Well, how does Christ live in us? How does that happen? Through who? Well, through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Christ lives in us through the Holy Spirit who lives in us and unites us to the life of Christ. Meaning, this is huge because through the Spirit, we are not free from Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, we're free in Christ. We've been given freedom in Christ. And there are some in churches today, maybe even in this church, who would say, well, when you teach freedom in Christ, you're going to make people um, go out and serve themselves. They're not going to serve. You know, if you tell people they're free, they're just going to live for themselves. They're not going to live for Christ. But the opposite is actually true. When we recognize that Christ has done everything for our salvation, we'll adore Christ. We'll serve Christ. We'll live for him. Think about this following story. It's another story from the Civil War days, and I'm not sure if it really happened or if it's just a parabolic story, but the story is told that before the slaves were free, there was a northerner who went to a slave auction and purchased a young slave girl. As they walked away from the auction, the man turned to the girl and told her, You're free. You're free. With amazement, she responded, you mean I'm free to do whatever I want to do? And he said, yes. And to say whatever I want to say, she asked, yes, anything. And to be whatever I want to be, yes. And even to go wherever I want to go. Yes, he answered with a smile, you're free to go wherever you would like. And she looked at him intently and lovingly and said, then I'll go with you. Then I'll go with you. Some fear that grace given, Christ earned freedom will result in us living however we want to. But this story shows us that redeeming love carries the power to compel loyalty to the one who bought us. To the one who bought us. Here's the deal, brothers and sisters. People who understand grace, people who have experienced the grace of God, you don't have to beg them to do things. Now, people who don't know the grace of God, you have to beg them to do everything. But people who have truly understood the grace of God, here's the deal. They don't have to come to church. They get to come to church. They don't have to serve the Lord. They get to serve the Lord. They don't have to spend their lives for Him. They get to. 
It's the beauty of grace. Don't miss it. And don't miss that phrase in verse 5, through the Spirit. We don't live in our own strength and in the, in the strength of ourselves or even the strength that other people give us. We live in the strength that God gives to us. And God never lacks. He never runs out of power, never runs out of strength. So freedom runs in the Spirit. But then secondly, freedom runs by faith. Freedom runs by faith. Verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith. This takes us back to the very beginning of our salvation. By grace are we saved through faith. And again, Paul is not speaking of a generic faith, but a faith with a particular object, a faith in a particular person, Jesus Christ. Let me say something again that I've said many times here, and I'll say it again. It might sound strange. Faith doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Phrases like just have faith or keep the faith are nonsense. They're nonsensical statements. Faith must have an object, and the object of saving faith is Jesus Christ. And saving faith is an attitude by which we come to God through Christ with empty hands. We don't come to God with all of our achievements because all of our achievements get us nowhere. We come to Him with empty hands saying, I can't, God, but you have, and I want what you have and what you've said you'd give to me. Listen, I want to be very clear here. If you come to believe that somehow your faith brings salvation, you'll stop looking to Christ and you'll begin to look at your faith. And when you see doubts or when you see doubts around you, things that cause you to doubt, you'll begin to question your faith. When you don't feel quite as excited or as um, joyful as you used to, you'll begin to worry. What happens? You, you turn your faith into an idol. You turn your faith into a, a work. Let me say it very clearly. Faith is only an instrument that is used to receive salvation. Faith is not the cause of salvation. Jesus is the cause of salvation. Jesus is the object of our faith. So therefore, make sure our faith has the right object, Jesus. And let's look at the verses before verse 5. Let's look at what Paul says in verses 2 through 4. Just read with me here. Paul says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So remember, the Judaizers had come in to this church in Galatia, and they were teaching, yes, it's good that you've accepted Christ, but you also have to be circumcised. And so Paul's saying this, if you accept that and believe that that's what it takes to be saved, Christ will be of no advantage to you. And then verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. So Paul says, if you're going to keep that one part of the law, you've got to keep it all. And there's, a, there's the deal, there's the picture, we can't. We can't keep it all. And then verse 4, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. So if you think that you doing the law and you being good is going to save you, you're being severed from Christ because you're no longer trusting him. You're trusting in yourself. And then Paul says this, you've fallen away from grace. Now some interpret that to mean you've lost your salvation, but... There is no such thing as an unjustified believer in Scripture. There's not. But what Paul is saying is people who turn back from the grace of God and begin to live as if they have to earn their way. 
So the Judaizers within the church of Galatia not only added something to the faith in Christ, but they wanted the people in the church to turn back to the old system, to turn back to the law, a law that can't save you because it shows you your need to be saved. Think about this. With this glorious freedom offered under God's new covenant, why would anyone prefer the old covenant? And it's a good question, but it's a good question with a complex answer. Now, some people don't like grace because it seems wild and risky. Others cringe because it seems too vast and you can't measure grace. Still others say, well, grace just seems unfair. Like really bad people, forgiven, like completely forgiven, without doing anything, that's just not fair. Now, the opposite of grace stands the law. The law is has hard and fast rules, has concrete formulas, it has clear and measurable goals for which a person can strive to be good, to do good, to do these things. But here's the deal. The law is a system that caters to human pride by promising reward to those who work the hardest, those who are the most competitive. But what is Paul saying? Paul's saying the true reward of following the law is bondage. Obligation, fear, and guilt. What Paul is saying is that if you try to do the law to earn salvation within the law, is fine print written that says you will ultimately fail. You cannot succeed. You cannot do it. Thank God Jesus did it. No wonder Paul says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Just think about the difference here between law and grace. Paul says you fell from grace. Think about the difference between law and grace. The law prohibits, grace invites and gives. The law condemns the sinner, grace redeems the sinner. The law says do this, do this, do this. Grace says it is finished, it is done. The law curses, the grace blesses. The law slays the sinner, grace makes the sinner alive. The law shuts every mouth before God. Grace opens our mouth with praise to our God. The law condemns the best of men. Grace saves the worst of men. The law says the wages of sin is death. Grace says the gift of God is eternal life. The law was done away in Christ and grace, praise God, abides forever. We don't turn away from faith, and we don't fall back from grace. We don't try to earn our way here knowing that the things that we do will never leave this earth. It reminds me of the story of an aspiring artist who was commissioned to do a large sculpture for a famous museum. At last, he had the opportunity to create the masterpiece he had long dreamed of. After laboring over the work for many years, he saw it grow, not only in shape, but in beauty. But when it was finished, he discovered to his horror that it was too large to be taken out of a window or door, and the cost to actually tear down part of the building to remove it was cost prohibitive. So his masterpiece was forever a captive to the room in which, he was in which it was created. And that is the same fate of all human religion. Nothing that we will ever do to try to earn God's favor will ever leave this earth. 
Nothing we'll ever do to earn God's favor will ever leave this earth. Instead, we turn to the one who came down from heaven to earth and did for us once through one sacrifice what will last forever and ever. Therefore, we run not by our works. We run by faith. Freedom runs by faith. And then third, freedom runs with hope. Freedom runs with hope. Look at the end of verse 5. Paul says, We ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So here Paul describes the Christian life as a life of, get this, a life of waiting. Even as we're running, we're waiting. When we think about salvation, ultimately we don't work for it. We experience it and then ultimately we wait for it. This is the hope that keeps us running. But here's what I want us to understand this morning. When we see the word hope in the Bible, the word hope in the Bible in the Greek does not mean what it does in English. In English, it means hope so. So is it going to be sunny tomorrow? Well, I I hope so. Meaning, I have no way of being completely confident in that, but I, I hope it will be. Hope in the Bible, in the Greek, means A confident assurance. It means a certainty of something. It's confident expectation. It gets confusing when the word that means total assurance in the Greek means I'm not quite sure in English. But let us wrap our head around the Greek mindset here. We have something that's for certain. We have a certain expectation of what is coming because God said so. In the words of Samuel Rutherford, if Christ Jesus be the period, the end, and lodging home, at the end of your journey, there is no fear. You are going to a friend. You may look death in the face with joy. We can look death in the face with joy. Do you long with eager anticipation for the day when you will stand before God? Do you long for that day of judgment? Now, this is not how we think of the day of judgment. Most people don't think, I cannot wait until I stand before God and I have to give an account of my life to Him. Let me say this very clearly. As long as you're running and living in legalism, you're not going to look forward to that day because there's always going to be more boxes to check off. And you're going to wonder, have I, have I done enough? Have I done enough? Have I checked off all the boxes. If you're living in that way, you're not looking forward to that day. In the same way, if you're living in sin, you're not looking forward to that day. You're enjoying today. Your thoughts are not of that world. Your thoughts are only in this world. If you're going to write something down, write this down. We show what we're looking forward to by the way we are presently living. We show what we are looking forward to by the way that we are presently living. If we're living in sin, we might not be looking forward to much. But are we eagerly waiting for what's coming? Hoping in what's to come changes the way we run. We don't run like we don't have hope. We don't run like we're defeated. We don't run in fear. We don't run always getting distracted. No, we run in freedom, desiring the finish line. This is the picture of the Christian life. Again, Christ came to set us free, not 
freedom to do whatever we want to do, which would lead us right back to the chains of sin. Rather, thanks be to God, we are now free to do what we could not do before, which is please God. We couldn't do it before. Now we are able to please Him. Let me end with verse 13, which sums up what our freedom looks like, an amazing picture of our Christian freedom. Paul says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Praise be to God, we're called to freedom. Only, only, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What does it mean? What does that mean to use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh? It means don't use your freedom to serve yourself. Don't use your freedom to be self-serving. Don't use your freedom to make a name for yourself or to make much of yourself. But then he says this, but through love, serve one another. Don't use your freedom to serve yourself. Use your freedom to serve the Lord and to serve one another. In the words of Spurgeon, he says, You are not to do anything because it pleases you, but you are to do everything because it pleases him. Do everything because it pleases him. We run to please him. We live to please him. In the movie Chariots of Fire, Eric Liddell speaks the famous line, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. He says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure because God made me fast. Listen, most of us listening online or even in this room, we're not very fast. Most of us. Most of us don't even like to physically run. So don't even like to, I got a huge amen from Pastor Jordan. We don't even like to physically run. But I pray that we would come to feel the pleasure of God as we run in the freedom of the gospel. Feel the pleasure of not being guilty. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Feel the pleasure of overcoming the grip of sin. Sin no longer has the final word over your life. Jesus does. Feel the pleasure of not being enslaved to legalism and having to check the boxes because it has been done. Feel the pleasure of living by the Spirit and walking by faith. Faith pleases God. Feel the pleasure of having access to God by which we can come before God. We can come before Him through the peace of Christ Jesus, and we can enter and approach the throne of grace with confidence. Feel the pleasure of being accepted by God. Feel the pleasure of having a secure future with God. And then feel the pleasure of what it means to love and serve Him and love and serve one another. Have you started this race? If not, take your mark. And what that means is this. If you don't know what that means, your mark is Jesus. Go to Him. Go to Jesus. Turn to Him. Turn to Him. Have you stumbled in the, in the, the race? Have you stumbled and fallen? And one of the beautiful things about when you watch the, the Olympics and races is you see people fall. Very rarely do you see people stay down. They get up. They, even though everybody's long gone, they finish the race. 
If you have fallen and stumbled, brothers and sisters, receive the forgiveness that has been offered to you. Your Savior says, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you, hear this, of all unrighteousness. Receive that today. For freedom, we have been set free. Run in that freedom. Live in that freedom. Serve in that freedom. With that said, let us pray. Father, we come before you today, Lord, and we thank you for this freedom series. We thank you, God, that we're learning and seeing that we are free by grace. We're through, or through grace, by faith. We're, we're free in Christ. As, as we have seen, we're free as sons, co-heirs with Christ. We're, we're free to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are free to run. We're free to, to run and not be hindered as the Galatians had been. Lord, help us, God, not to be hindered by legalism and laws and not be hindered, God, by, by sin or our own desire to do good things only for ourselves. God, help us to understand our freedom in you, that we are free to do what we could never do before you. We're free to please you. We're free to serve you. We're free to serve others for the short and simple and great pleasure of you. Father, I pray for anyone today that hasn't started the race. It's a day they would take their mark in Christ. They would call on the name of the Lord and be saved. For other brothers and sisters maybe listening, God, that have stumbled and fallen. and Maybe they're stumbling and their falling isn't the huge sins that, that we think of in the world, maybe it's things that Satan is just beating them up over. Things that are just weighing them down and keeping them from running, God. Help them today to bring those things to you. And you are faithful, you are just, and you will forgive. Father, again, help us to live in the freedom to run in the freedom, to serve in the freedom that you have given to us. It is for freedom that we have been set free, and we have been set free in the name that's above every name, the name of Jesus, by which we pray. Amen. All right, everybody at home, let's uh, close out with one last song and worship God together.